Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Psalms chapter 84, verse 4 and verse 10 from the Passion Translation. I'll use this just to set up the moment. Uh, David says this. He says, what pleasure fills those who live every day in your temple or every day in your presence uh, is what he's meaning here. Enjoying you as they worship in your presence. Look at this. Pause in his presence. For just one day of intimacy with you is like a thousand days of joy rolled, out, rolled into one. Then he says this, he says, I'd rather stand at the threshold in front of the gate beautiful, ready to go in, ready to go in and worship my God than to live my life without you in the most beautiful place, uh, palace of the wicked. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. He says, I just want to push pause to be in your presence. And he says, I, I find so much pleasure in just being in your presence and worshiping you. Now, here, here's what I want to share with you for a little bit today. This is very much a passion of mine and a topic that really you'll hear me talk about. If you come here for a while, you'll hear me talk about worship um, probably a few times a year. Uh, probably almost every single time you get, we gather together, we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit. Passion is our response. You'll hear us say that, as we said earlier. We believe that when we worship God, that passion should be our response. Whenever Jennifer and I were praying about, um, about planting this church or starting this church, one of the things that we wrote down, and we had a whole series of things that we said, we feel like this is who God's called us to be as a church. One of those was, was to be a church with a worship culture where people fully engage in worship from the front to the back, from the platform to the exit, that every single person that we, it's not just for the, the spiritually elite, it's not just for the people in the first two rows, it's not just for the dream team, but every person that comes in would engage in the presence of God and would engage in worship and that passion would be our response. And uh, that's part of our vision. And we believe that it's not just something that Jennifer and I said, we have a preference for that. We feel like that's God's preference for our church. See, the Bible says without prophetic vision, people cast off restraint, which means that they do whatever they want. So God has given us prophetic vision, which means it's vision from him. And that, that really be, creates guardrails for us so that we don't get off track. And part of that prophetic vision is that we would have a worshiping culture where we are, listen, a presence-driven church, where it's not enough just to sing some cute songs. Like, like I remember there was a day when people just kind of got away at church with, it was like this seeker movement and people would like play like a cool U2 song. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that, but listen, I'm not going after entertainment. I'm going after the presence of God in our church because it's his presence that changes everything. And that's who God has called us to be, to be a church that passionately responds to who God is, responds to what he's done in our life, to lift our hands and our voice and to sing with all that's inside of us. And so Someone on our team, uh, Miss Gabby Ferrer, she, she made this for us. And maybe you've noticed this before when you've come into church. Uh, how many of you guys have noticed this before when you walk in right over there? I, I love this. It says, attention, you are entering, it might as well say warning, right? <laughs> you are entering a room full of faith. You're entering a room full of faith. And it says, feel free. So it's giving you permission. Feel free to stand, to sing, to shout, to clap to lift your hands, to engage, to participate, and to join in. We love a loud church. Passion is our response. Can somebody say amen? And um, this, is, this is the church that, uh, that you've, you've turned up to today. This is the church that many of you call home. Uh, we are unapologetic about this. 
that we, we want to worship God and engage in his presence with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Now, here, let me tell you this. I love worship now, but that hasn't always been the case. I remember when I was a young man and uh, I was, my parents were dragging me around to church and I just, I could not stand uh, the worship, praise kind of segment of church. I just, I would fog out. Sometimes I would, I would, I would wait outside and then come in afterwards. And a lot of that was because it wasn't my style of music. And I didn't prefer it because it wasn't really my style. I, I at the time, I kind of like Michael Jackson was kind of my preference uh, back in the day. I mean, I remember having a pair of jeans. Y'all don't even know nothing about this. I had a pair of jeans that were gray on the front, blue jeans in the back, and I had a red and black pleather jacket and a glove. Like, that's how I rolled. That's how I rolled. I was... That was me back when I was a kid in the 80s, 80s kid. Um, but I would stay out. Like I would, I would refuse to go into church until the worship was over. And I think it's because at the time I, I, I didn't truly understand what worship was all about. Maybe I thought that worship was about me. And that's why I failed to come in. Maybe I thought that worship was about my preference. But really worship is about God's preference, not our preference. It's not what we want. It's what he wants. Um, and then I remember whenever I first gave my life to Jesus. I was a young man, probably 18 years old. And I was going to a church that was much like this, very engaged. People would engage in worship, would raise their hands, would sing out loud. Some people would kneel down. And there was these different expressions of worship. And I so bad wanted to raise my hands because I don't know if it was like, positive peer pressure, like I saw other people raising their hands, but I don't know, there's something in me that like I really wanted to raise my hands, but, but because I was just, just kind of right off the streets, freshly giving my life to Jesus, I was still a bit prideful, and so I wouldn't raise my hands, and I would just kind of stand there, and it was like I was worshiping the Lord in my heart, you know, and I was engaging with my heart, um, and, and, and that evolved over time, and finally I, would, I felt comfortable to kind of lift my hands like this, like I call this like holding the bread, you know, it's like holding the bread. Then it's like there's like the touchdown, you know. There's like I had kind of had the different things. It's like this is the really like the, you know, just like the like like it's like a you know just the one hander, and then it was like a side hander. Like I had all my different moves that I would do, and and so anyway, it, it, the other funny thing is that I noticed with worship at churches is that a lot of it is cultural, and so we'll pick up on other people's stuff. So like like if if I've seen worship leaders like that that like are really good worship leaders, like they kind of whenever they lead worship, they kind of put their hand out like this. Well, then you start to see that in the culture of the church where they're like, everyone's got their hand out. It's like, or when people, it's like a bowing culture where people are like, bow down before the Lord, then everyone's bowing. It's the most unique thing. Um, but, you know, me growing up in a church that was a worshiping culture, I began to learn about worship. I began to really grow in this idea of, of pursuing God and seeking God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, I remember bringing these two friends of mine to church for the first time, uh, and they were freaked out. They, came, they had a Catholic background. And so, you know, if you've ever been in a Catholic church, it's, it's very respectful and reverent and very quiet, and there's a lot of kneeling and standing up. Like, it's a full-on exercise if you've ever been to a Catholic church. Like, it's like, kneel up, kneel up. I'm so like, gosh, I'm having cramps over here, you know. But I remember bringing these two friends of mine, and they had a Catholic background, and they came to this, like, church where we were real, we were real expressive and de demonstrative in our worship. I look over at these two people, and then they were sweating. They were so scared. They were, like, frightened. They were overwhelmed by what was going on. They didn't know if somebody's like, about to run out the back with snakes or something. Like, they didn't know. And I was like, no, 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 it's not like that. It's not like that. It's not like that, I promise. Um, but I just need to encourage you with this because some of you, you may have, you may have different experiences with, with worship. Maybe you grew up in a very 
very, maybe like a Catholic denomination or our more reserved kind of environment where people's expression of worship was, maybe they just read out of a hymn, hymnal and they sang, or, or maybe you did come from a charismatic kind of background where people are a little wild, maybe, maybe they take off running around in circles or whatever it may be. Please don't do that here, okay? But, uh, but, but I, don't, I don't know what your background is, or maybe some of you, like you, you've always been in an environment like this and you kind of, you feel like you get it and you understand, you understand all the, the moments, like when the bridge happens or the course and it's like hand shoot up, like you think you kind of get it. What I've found is this, is that even when we think we understand worship, a lot of times we can miss it and we can just go through religious motions. And so today for just a few moments, I want to bring a little bit of clarity to, uh, to this idea of worship. I think one of the first things we have to understand is that you and I, we were made for worship. We were created to worship. I talked about this when we first started our church, but you and I, whenever we were created, we were created worshipers. So every person right now that's living and breathing is worshiping. The question is, who are they worshiping and what are they worshiping? It's not like you have an option like I worship or I don't worship. It's really when you look at scripture, you either worship God or you worship other things, which is idolatry. So it's the worship of God or it's idols in our lives. What do we make idols? Our work relationship, the pursuit of getting married. It could even be our children, our family. We can elevate things to a, to a supreme place, to a preeminent place in our life. And now that thing has become the thing that we worship. Here's why I say that. Because when you understand the word worship, worship is actually, there's, there's not a, a Greek or a Hebrew word, which the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. There's not a, a really a word specifically dedicated to the word worship in scripture. Worship is actually an old English word that it's two words fused together, worth ship, worth ship. I don't know what the ship is for, but I can tell you what it, the word actually means, okay? Um, worth ship, it's this. Worship, if you were to get like a, a broad definition for the topic of worship, worship is simply this. It's ascribing ultimate value and worth to something or someone. That's what worship is, is when you ascribe ultimate worth and value to a specific thing or a specific person. The Bible says that only God is worthy of our worship. Only God is worthy of us to ascribe him the value and the worth that he is due. Now, our worship doesn't change his value. It simply recognizes it. God is of ultimate worth and value. And when we worship him, both with song, with our life, we are bringing glory to God. Now, um, before I dig a little bit deeper in this, I want to share with you a scripture. I've never read this, at least I never saw this in this before. I was reading through the Old Testament in the, the book of Exodus the other day. And in Exodus, there's something very unique. Uh, you remember that the children of God, the people of God, the, uh, the, the Jewish people there, uh, at this particular time, for 400 years, they're in Egypt in slavery. And so God raises up this leader named Moses, and he says, Moses, I want you to go in uh, to Egypt as their deliverer, and I want you to, to help deliver them and get them out of Egypt because I have a plan for their life. And so he sends Moses to go in, and he goes before Pharaoh. If you've ever seen kind of the, some of the movies before, Let My People Go, that whole thing, and the Ten Plagues. Now, I've always read this and thought, why did God send a deliverer to go in to Egypt? And I've always thought that God sent Moses to go in to bring them out so that they could go into another place. And what I always thought was this, is that God brought them out of Egypt to bring them into a promised land. That's what I've always thought. And that's partly true. Part of the reason why God sent a deliverer to go in was to bring them out in order to bring them into another place, which was the promised land. But that wasn't the initial purpose for God to send in a deliverer. Do you know what the initial purpose was? Here, I'll show it to you. Exodus chapter 4. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, 
See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then I want you to say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go. Why? So he may worship me. See, God sent Moses to go in and to bring them out of slavery and captivity to bring them into something, but it wasn't just to bring them into his promise. It was to bring them into his presence. God, God sent a deliverer to go in to, to draw them out, to bring them into a place where they could together, not just as individuals, but together as a community worship God. God was longing for a people that would be consecrated to him, set apart to him, devoted to only him that would worship him with all of their heart. It says it again five or six times in the book of Exodus there, but I'll read you just one more. Um, it says this in chapter eight. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Can I tell you, this is a prophetic picture of the church, is that Jesus is the true and greater Moses, the great deliverer that comes down. He comes into our world in, in this Egypt, so to speak, where we're in bondage and slavery under the tyranny of sin and the enemy, where we are literally, we are in shackles in our life. And Jesus comes in greater than Moses. He delivers us and draws us out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of our sin, out of our brokenness, out of our depravity. But listen, he, he takes us out of that to bring us into something. But I believe that Western Christianity has, has made this type of, of declaration and propaganda, is God wants to save you and bring you out of that life without him to bring you into just prosperity and to bring you into just blessing. And he wants to do all these things for you. Now, listen, I believe that God wants to bless us. I believe he wants to prosper us. But the first thing that God wants more than to give us promise is to give us his presence. He wants us to worship him. That is his, that is his primary concern for his people is that you would come to me and that you would worship me with all your heart. Promise may come later, but what he wants is for us to be in his presence. That's God's desire for us. We were created for worship. We were designed for worship. We were wired for worship. And until we find our hearts set upon God, worshiping him, we will wander aimlessly through this world, worshiping things that will never do anything for us. First Peter chapter 2 says it like this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Come on, fellas, if you're sitting by your wife, why don't you look at it real quick and say, you are royal, girl. A queen. You're my queen. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Look, God's special possession. Why? Why are you all these things? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You and I, listen, you know how you were saved and you were set free and you were delivered and God's, God's redeemed your life? He's done that so that you would praise and worship him. He's jealous for your worship and praise and he will share his glory with nothing and no one else. He deserves our worship. John 4 says that, that God is seeking and searching for true worshipers that will worship him in spirit and truth. You know what God's looking for? More than just people to say yes to making a difference for him and to building his kingdom. Those things are important, but they're secondary. The first thing he's looking for is people who will, they will devote their hearts to him and they will seek him and worship him and spend time in his presence and have an intimate relationship with him and feast on his presence. That's what God is after. Everything else overflows out of that. It overflows out of our worship. It overflows out of our devotion to him. 
Now, I want to give you a little definition for, for worship and share with you a little bit of the purpose. Here, here's my definition I, I kind of wrote up this morning. Now, listen, worship is a robust topic. Uh, there's so many different things that you could talk about. You could talk about living a life of worship. Uh, you could talk about living a life of sacrifice, which honors God. But this is, this is specifically where I want to drill into. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence by engaging our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me say that again, because that's kind of a hefty definition. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence by engaging our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first thing you need to notice is that worship is about glorifying God. That's the first thing that it's about. So it's not about us liking the song as much as it is glorifying God. It's not as much as, as a, a band hitting all the right notes or staying in tempo as much as it is this. God, we're just here to glorify you. Even whenever we don't know a song, we can glorify God. Even whenever, we, whenever it's kind of, you know, I've been in moments before I'm a musician or I used to be a musician and um, I would hit the wrong notes. I would do the wrong thing. And, and sometimes that can be a distraction. I get it. But that should not that should not trump being in the presence of God and giving him glory. Like his presence has got to be so much stronger than moments like that, right? But it's about glorifying God. So it's not about our preference of song. Like when people ask you, this always blows my mind. When people say, hey, how was church today? Well, the, the message was great. The message was great. The worship was, uh. See, what we've done is we've, we've diluted worship down to our experience and our preference and what we like. We've become consumers. And so worship is now about, listen, about satisfying us rather than about glorifying God. The first thing we've got to notice is that worship, the supreme purpose of worship is to glorify God. And number two, it's in his presence. This is not just like a gig that the band is doing up here. It's us together. We're, we're drawing close to the presence of God. And it's by engaging, engaging. Listen, we, we can't, you cannot say you've worshiped God by standing there. We cannot say we're worshiping the Lord with our hands in our pocket. It doesn't matter how much other people are going in, getting into his presence. Worship is when we're engaged. We're not observing. We're not spectators. We're participators engaging in worship. And then the last part is this. It's engaging our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is that? It's engaging our whole body, our mind. So there's a thoughtfulness about it. We're meditating on the truth of God and who he is. And it's, it's not just like a bunch of feelings, but there, it's literally it's stimulating our thoughts. We're thinking about him. We're meditating about God and who he is and what he's done in our life. It's our soul. So it's our emotions. Literally, it moves us. That's why music is so powerful, because it moves you. Watch a scary movie without the like push mute without the music. It's not as scary. It's just not. Why? Because music, it moves us. So it engages your soul, especially soul music. You know what I'm saying? You get a little. Y'all so dumb. Uh, your soul, your mind, listen, your heart. It's not worship if it doesn't engage your heart. It's got to engage your heart. Like you got it, man, it's about love. It's about intimacy with God. And then your strength, what is that? Your strength is your body. Like literally it's, it's like it, it, it engages your body. That's why there's so many different words. There's seven different Hebrew words. I don't have time to go into all of them. I think they're just going to throw them up on the screen really quick. But I'll basically tell you what all of them mean. They mean to be loud, to shout, to bow, to kneel, to lay face down on the ground, to, uh, to have symbols, crashing symbols. You know, so some of you were, grew up in a church where it's like they didn't have drums. That's terrible, number one. But number two, 
this is completely biblical. I don't know where people got like the idea that like you shouldn't have music and it should be acapella and just singing like, no, look at the scriptures. Are you reading your Bible? So people would make noise with strings, with harps, with lyres, with drums, lyres like lyres, not like a, you're a lying, but you know what I mean, whatever. Um, people would clap, they'd, they'd dance, they would even dance. Come on, where you have Footloose? I mean, you could dance. You may see us jump a little bit around here. Like, you're like, what are they doing? Why are they? It's because our hearts have been touched by heaven. And we do these things. And so the point I'm trying to make is with all these words, halal, yada, barak, zamar, shabak, tau dao, right? I don't know what that word is. Tau dao. <laughs> I mean, all these words, listen, these words, these words are throughout the Old and New Testament. So that means for thousands of years, the people of God have done these things. So what you and I experienced, what you experienced earlier and what you'll experience tonight, this is not a charismatic thing. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's a following Jesus thing. We kneel, we bow, we lift our hands, we worship. So it's not about a denomination. It's about a devotion, to being devoted to worshiping our heavenly Father. Now, let me, let me hurry up and give you these just three things. You can jot them down really fast. Uh, three things. Though the primary focus of our worship is to glorify God, here's what I've discovered, is that in the process of me glorifying God with my worship, with my song, with my dance, with clapping, with kneeling, all those things, in the process of me just saying, God, I want to bring you glory, I get amazing benefits. Like, it's just the result of it. Like, now, I'm not the focus, and you're not the focus, but but worship, God is so gracious and so good, even in the process of us just, just giving him our all, he goes, I'm going to bless them in the process. That's how good God is. Now, let me give these to you. Number one, the first one is this. Here's the result of true worship. Worship creates an opportunity for us to delight in God as he delights in us. That word delight, you know what it means? It simply means this, great pleasure. Did you know that part of worship is, is this, is that we come to a place where we begin to find great pleasure and enjoyment and being in his presence. And in that process, God is delighting in us. It's intimacy. It, it, it should, worship should be enjoyed, not endured. Like it should be a place where we find pleasure. I love what David said in Psalm 27. He said this, here's the one thing I crave from God. The one thing that I seek above all else. I want the privilege of living with him every moment in his house or in his presence, finding the sweet loveliness of his face filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I want to live my life so close to him that he takes pleasure in my every prayer, it's this picture of, of true worship is when we're, we're just in this moment where we're enjoying the presence of God, just being with him and having this intimate moment with him. No one else around us matters. It's just us in the presence of God, and we're just delighting in him as he delights in us. We're finding pleasure in him as he finds pleasure in us. This is one of the most beautiful things. Let me ask you this question. Your Christian life currently, right now, like your relationship with God, is it in, are you enjoying it right now? Like, are you finding pleasure or does it feel like rules and regulations? And it's like, I've got, to, I've got all these boxes I've got to tick off just to make God happy. And, and you think, I've got to say no to all the things I really want to do because, you know, I've got to live a moral life. Like, is, is, is it like that or is it like, man, my, I'm finding so much joy and pleasure and enjoyment and delight in following Jesus and just being in his presence. Listen, I, I believe that 
that one of the things that helps you move from this, this stale, flat, empty, dead religion into a vibrant life with God that you find pleasure in following him is worship. It's worship. Worship gets us to that place where we just begin to delight in the presence of God and find so much pleasure being with him. Now, here's the cool thing is that not only do we get to delight in him and worship, you know that God delights in you? Some of you, you, some of you right now in your life, you feel like God's angry at you. And you feel like God's mad at you. And you feel like because, you, you know, you don't have it all together yet, that God's kind of at a distance from you and he's just kind of got it. He's just got his arms crossed. Like, when is he ever going to get it together? Can I tell you that because of Jesus, you have it together even when you don't have it together? And that God's posture towards you is favor and his love and his delight. Look at this. I love this. Over in Hebrews 12, it says, Since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart. That delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe. Zephaniah 3 says, For the Lord your God is living among you. That is his presence with you. He is a mighty Savior. Look at this. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. This is crazy. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Do you realize that today when we're in here, we're just like lifting our hands and worshiping, singing songs, and we're just letting our songs arise to heaven, that God is up there and he's singing over us. Why? Because he's pleased with you, because of Jesus. He delights in you. He finds pleasure in you, especially when you worship. Here's the second thing. I want you to write this down. Second benefit that we have that's amazing is worship causes God to draw near to us as we draw near to him. And this is different from the last one. The last one is just delight. We're delighting in one another. But have you ever heard that phrase, man, I just want to, I wish I was closer to this person. I wish this person and I, we had a closer relationship. What brings us closer is our worship. And, and when we worship, literally we are, we are coming closer and we're drawing closer to him. But it's in that process of us drawing near to him, God begins to draw near to us. And it's worship that does that for us. I love what James chapter 4 says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I mean, it's, it's this, it's, it, it looks as if there's this picture that, that when we make a decision, I am going to come after God. God says, I'm going to come after you. Now, in his grace and in his mercy, even when we don't come after God, God will come after us. There was a point when I was 17 and 18 years old, I was running from God. I was doing just the opposite of this verse. I was drawing near to everything else, running away from God. But God's grace is so relentless and his love is so relentless. When I was far from him, he came after me. That's God's grace. It's amazing that God will come after us and pursue us even when we're not pursuing him. But there is a promise, though. For, for you and I, when we say, you know what? I'm going to draw near to God. I'm going to come after God. I'm going to pursue God in worship. I'm going to pursue him and seek him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Bible says God responds to that. God comes near to us. This is good news for you and I because it hasn't always been like that for the people of God as, as it relates to how close we can get to him. In the Old Testament, they would draw near to God, but they could only come so close Literally, I mean, the people could go to the temple and they could go through some ceremonies, but they could only get so close to the actual presence of God. 
Even the priest could only, only get to a certain, certain closeness and proximity to the, the holy of holies or the presence of God in the temple. And really, it was only one priest that could go in once a year. And he better have his stuff together, man. He had, to, he had to have a pure life, an innocent life. He would go into the Holy of Holies, and he'd have these, like, bells around his ankles. They'd tie a rope. Think about this. They would tie a rope around a brother's ankle, let him walk in in case he had sin in his life that he hadn't confessed, and he fell down, and they heard the, there's no more bells ringing. Drag that brother out right now. <laughs> but think about that. I mean, the people of God, they could, they could come to the temple, and they could, they could worship, but they could only get so close and then there was a select group of people that could get a little bit closer. And then it was just one dude that could get in there really close to the presence of God. I mean, that was, that was the way it was. And that's, that's not where we live now, which is amazing. Because of Jesus, we have access to go all the way in. Jesus went in once and for all. He didn't have to have bells around. Nobody's got to pull Jesus out. He lived a pure life, an innocent life. And he was innocent. He lived in our place so that we could go into the presence of God in a place of innocence. I love that. Look at this. I was reading this about uh, how the people of God would draw close to God. Second Chronicles chapter 5. This is cool. The trumpeters and the singers performed together. The band. The band performed together in unison. They were in unity. To praise and give thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals. We need to bring back the trumpet, Elton. Come on, let's do this. This is the trumpet. Look. And the instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. He is good. Look at that. He is good. He is faithful and his love endures forever. At that moment of them praising and worshiping, look, a thick cloud filled the temple or the house of God. It says the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. My prayer I love us having a spirit of excellence as a church. We plan out every detail of our service. We plan out so many things. But my prayer is that our worship would be so passionate that we would get so just caught up in the presence of God that we could not even keep going on as normal. That our service, we'd have to just like, you know what, I'm not preaching today because the presence of God is so, so here. But why did it happen there? It's because God responded to a people that drew near to him and he drew near to them. I love this. It's over and over and over in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Listen again, it's Jesus, our great high priest that made a way for us. By a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is through his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, look at this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What is this saying right here? Remember, the Old Testament, they could only draw so, they could only come so close, but now because of Jesus, we can come all the way next to God. We can come right in because of what Jesus has done. You and I, we have access to our Heavenly Father, and we can be face-to-face. Literally, presence means face. Come face-to-face. We can come face-to-face with God in his presence because of what Jesus has done. We have access. We can draw near. That was your cue. When one person claps, you got to help, you got to help that sister out or brother out. Here's the last thing. I'm going to wrap up with this. And worship, here's the other benefit that we have. You need to know this. We sang it earlier in our team rally. Worship changes everything. I'm telling you, I see it in Scripture, and I know it to be true in my life. Worship changes everything. Some of you are dealing with things in your life right now, and could it be that the key is worship? 
maybe God will respond and he'll bring healing or a supernatural break or whatever. Or maybe he'll just give you perspective. But worship changes everything. Let me give you just a few scriptures just to prove it. Second Chronicles chapter 20 says this. Then he consulted with the people and appointed some to sing for the Lord and some to praise the splendor of his holiness. This is when the people of God were at battle and they were so, they don't know how they're going to win. The enemy is going to destroy them. He says that, that, that they came together and uh, some to praise the splendor of his holiness. And when they went out in front of the armed forces, they just kept singing. Elton said it earlier, worship is our weapon. Worship is our weapon. It says this, that they're, they're facing their enemy. They're facing a circumstance. It's like they're, going, they're not going to make it out. And their strategy was not grab more weapons. Their strategy was let's sing louder. Let's worship. Let's praise. And look at this. Give thanks to the Lord. They, they kept. They, they went in and they're singing. And they kept singing. Give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. The moment they begin their shouts and praises, the Lord set an ambush against uh, an ambush against, I says against, against Judah, and they were defeated. Now, here, here's, here's what this is saying in this passage. The people, their strategy, when they're facing a difficult situation was, we're going to worship, and the moment they begin to praise and worship God, God moves on their behalf, and he, he creates an ambush with the enemy, and they begin to turn on themselves. There's so many stories in the Old Testament where the strategy was worship. Look at Joshua chapter 6, Jericho, the walls of Jericho. The strategy was so unorthodox. They marched around a bunch of times, and they, they, at the very end, they're blowing trumpets, and they begin to shout, and the walls come crumbling down, and God gave them victory. Over and over and over again, as people would shout praises to God, God would cause chaos in the enemy's camp. Here's what I'm saying to you. There's a principle underneath this. Some of you are facing things in your life, and the enemy feels like he's coming at you so strong. And I just believe this, that if you will just, if you'll bring your worship to the next level, if you'll begin to sing at the top of your lungs, if you'll begin to lift your hands, maybe you've never done any of those things before, but if you'll fully engage in worship, I believe that God, he's going to, be, he's going to begin to work on your behalf and he's going to cause chaos in the enemy's camp. He's going to cause, I'm telling you, it changes things. Read Paul and Silas when you get a chance. Over in the book of Acts, Acts 16, they were in shackles for preaching the gospel and here's what they did. is about the midnight hour. They're in chains. What did they do? They weren't complaining they weren't talking about how terrible their life was. They weren't meditating on their circumstance. They just began to lift up their hearts towards heaven. They began to praise God. They began to worship God, and an earthquake started, and their chains fell off of them. And the people in the prison, they saw this. They witnessed this. Some of you, I'm telling you, the things that you're facing, you feel shackled by your circumstance. If you begin to raise up your worship before God, if you'll begin to praise God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, God's going to do something. He's going to change everything, and people are going to see it in your life. Amen? I'll get, I'm going to give you these, these three things, and Elton, come up here and play the keys. Um, here's three things for you I want you to do for tonight. This is specifically for tonight, okay? I know you're going to be here tonight because you need a breakthrough in your life just like I do, and this is going to be a great night. There's three things that I see in Scripture that prepare us, that really can prepare us and set us into a good place to receive from the Lord. The first one is this, is you have to engage your spirit whenever you're, whenever you're worshiping. If you look at what it says in John 4, Jesus, his, his instructions were this, is, when you're going to worship, he said, true worshipers, real worshipers, worship in spirit and truth. What does it mean in spirit? It means to engage your spirit with God's spirit, to be fully engaged. I want to encourage you, come tonight, 
Man, come tonight with a spirit of expectancy, expecting God to show up and, and that you're going to encounter him. This is, a, this, is, this is more than just we're gathering and we're going to watch them sing some cool songs. We're going to engage our spirit. Let's come and get engaged in this moment. Maybe you want to do something you've never done before. Maybe you want to lift up your hands tonight. Maybe you want to kneel in the presence of God. Maybe you just want to be silent. Some of you, maybe you're always singing and shouting, and you just need to be silent. But be engaged. Engage with your spirit. The second one is this, is that your worship needs to be grounded in truth. He says they'll worship me in spirit and truth. What does that mean, in truth? I think the truth is these two things. You know that worship, true worship, is not just good song. It's good doctrine. Let me explain that. That if we came in here and we sang a bunch of songs and it was not grounded in scripture and truth, and it just sounded cool and poetic, that's not worship. Because worship, at its very essence, is declarations about the truth of who God is. So it's truth. It's got to be grounded in truth. Elton, when Elton used to write worship songs, he would, remember you would text me the lyrics before you'd, you'd release that and let anybody sing it or play it. And he would text me the lyrics and he'd say, can you check this to make sure the theology is right? I want to make sure I'm not crazy. And we would talk through it. And sometimes he, now, he's, now you're a lot better at writing songs. But back then, some of his theology was a little iffy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you need to read your Bible more. It was the artistry. He was being so poetic. But listen, now I'm telling you what, you, you know, want to know why some of the songs, Elton's a songwriter, you may not know this, and some, some of the people on the team, but the reason why their songs are so powerful is because they don't just start with the melody, they start with the theology. They start with God, what is your, who, who are you in your word? It's truth, it's based on truth. But I think there's another part to it. Worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth, truth is this, is you being true in your expression of worship. You don't have to be like somebody else. You need to worship the Lord in truth. Be honest before God. Be simply before God. So that means this. If you're going through a really tough time, that's your truth. You bring that before God in worship. This is the truth of where I'm at. God, I don't feel you. I don't sense you. I don't feel like I really know you. I feel far from you. I don't want to worship you right now, God. That's truth. That's, God can handle that truth. Worship him in spirit and truth. And the last one is this, is, um, is you got to come here with some expectation tonight. I want you to come here in expectation, and, and I have scriptures for those things, but, and maybe I'll share them tonight. But tonight, I want you to come here really expecting God to show up. And here's why I say this. I have a friend um, that he pastors a church in South Carolina called Seacoast Church, and they had a, a prayer gathering. They're in 21 days of prayer and fasting like us. They had a worship and prayer gathering the other night. I think it was only supposed to last an hour. Um, it lasted five hours. Now, that, I don't think that's going to happen tonight because we only have this building for like a couple hours, okay? So they'll kick us out. So we won't do that. Lord, show up really quick. <laughs> but, but they had, they had five, they, it turned into five hours. And I'm, I may mess up some of the story, but, uh, but here's the, the big rocks of the story. There was, there was a guy that was there that was in a wheelchair that had been, uh, he's been I think he's been in a wheelchair his whole life. And the presence of God, they, like, he didn't come there necessarily come get healed or anything like this. This was this week in South Carolina and they were worshiping God and it just kept going. And it was pure worship, spirit and truth, engaging in the presence of God, people lifting their hands and worshiping. And I don't know if you have this cessation, cessational or sensationism type theology where you think the gifts have ceased and there's no more miracles. I'm just telling you, I'm reporting the news. Okay. I'm reporting the news people that as they were worshiping, the presence of God filled that room and they said they just knew his presence was there. And this guy got up out of his wheelchair and started walking around. And one of, listen, one of his atheist friends 
saw this and posted on Instagram. I was like, I'm now, I've become a follower of Jesus. I, I can't, I cannot believe this. This happened this week. Seacoast Church, Seacoast Church. Now, here, here's what I'm telling you that. If God could do that in South Carolina, you know he could do it here because San Francisco is way cooler. We're just way cooler. You know God's got to prefer us, South Carolina. Amen? Come on, stand up on your feet. Let me pray for you. We're going to have a good time tonight. I'm excited. Please make sure you're going to be here. Bring a friend, and uh, let's come with a spirit of expectation tonight and believe that God's going to do something great. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. What an amazing day in your presence, worshiping together. I, I pray that our faith is stirred, our faith is strong, and, and we're believing that you're going to do a miracle tonight. I know I'm coming here tonight, first and foremost, to give you glory, to glorify you. God, I, I'm thankful that, that as I delight in you, you're going to delight in me, and, and as I draw near to you, you're going to draw near to me, and the truth is, is that, is that, God, you can change anything and everything in your presence. So tonight, I'm believing that you're going to transform and change people's lives you're going to change circumstances and situations. But more than any of that, like that would be a, an, like icing on the cake. That would be lanyap. That would be awesome if you show up and do miracles in the supernatural. But tonight, what we want more than anything else is to meet with you, to give you glory, and to be in your presence. Lord, we love you. We thank you that because of Jesus, we have access to be in your presence. And so we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.